The apparatus comes to life in a flash of sparks as 21-year-old Guglielmo Marconi tinkers with his invention in his bedroom on his father's Italian estate. He's been building this invention for years and thinks it's now ready. He yells to his mother, who sits in the living room. I'm going to transmit now. His mother shouts her approval back, and Marconi begins to tinker once more with his machine. He inputs his signal and holds his breath. For a moment, all is silent. Then, a bell dings in the other room with his mother. She gasps and squeals in delight. Marconi is also overjoyed. As he hugs his mother in the other room, he looks at the bell and knows that his invention is going to change the world. Brains of people are more interested than the looks, I think. Electric power is everywhere present in a limited point of view. Jane, if you really want something, and you work hard, and you take advantage of opportunity, and you never give up. You're listening to Human Angle, a podcast that focuses on the hidden lives of scientists, asking what makes them human. I'm your co-host, Kim Castleberry, here with my lovely co-host, Kenna Castleberry. Thank you, Kim, and thank you to all of our lovely listeners out there. Without your support, we wouldn't be able to have these episodes. We've had over 1,700 plays on this podcast, and it's all thanks to you. If you're a new listener and like what you hear, you can find our show on all your favorite platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. Be sure to give us a good review, like, and subscribe. And today's episode is all about Guglielmo Marconi, the inventor of the radio. Without Marconi's work, we wouldn't have many of the things we take for granted today. Marconi ended up winning the Nobel Prize in 1909 for his inventions. The research done for this article includes several online biographical sources. With that, it's time to get started. Guglielmo Marconi was born at Bologna, Italy on the 25th of April, 1874, the second son of Giuseppe Marconi, an Italian country gentleman, and Annie Jameson, daughter of Andrew Jameson of, of the Daphne Castle in County Wexford, Ireland. Marconi was educated privately at Bologna, Florence, and Leghorn. Even as a boy, he took a keen interest in physical and electrical science and studied the works of Maxwell, Hertz, Rigi, Lodge, and others. In 1895, he began laboratory experiments at his father's country estate at Ponticcio, where he succeeded in sending wireless signals over a distance of one and a half miles. His device was rather crude. It was an induction coil for increasing voltages with a spark discharger controlled by a Morse key at the sending end and a simple coherer, a device designed to detect radio waves, at the receiver. After preliminary experiments over a short distance, he first improved the coherer, then, by systematic tests, he showed that the range of signaling was increased by using a vertical aerial with a metal plate or cylinder at the top of a pole connected to a similar plate on the ground. So pretty much like a a satellite rod or something like that. Mm -hmm. I can just envision... (laughs) Right, a 21-year-old just Yeah, these primitives. <laughs> yep. The range of signaling was thus increased from about 2.4 kilometers, 1.5 miles, enough to convince Marconi of the potentialities of this new system of communication. During this period, he also conducted simple experiments with reflectors around the aerial to concentrate the radiated electrical energy into a beam instead of sending it in all directions. So like a, a satellite dish, probably. Mm-hmm. Very similar. If we think about that concept, yeah. Yeah. 
A breakthrough came in the summer of 1895 when Marconi found that much greater range could be achieved after he raised the height of his antenna and borrowing a technique used in wired telegraphy, grounded his transmitter and receiver. With these improvements, the system was capable of transmitting signals up to 2 miles, 3.2 kilometers, and over hills. The monopole antenna reduced the frequency of the waves compared to the dipoles antennas used by Hertz and radiated vertically polarized radio waves, which could travel longer distances. By this point, he concluded that a device could be capable of spanning greater distances with additional funding and research, and would also prove valuable for both commercial and military functions. Marconi's experimental apparatus proved to be the first engineering-complete, commercially successful radio transmission system. Marconi wrote to the Ministry of Posts and Telegraphs, then under the direction of Pietro Lavacava, explaining his wireless telegraph machine and asking for funding. He never received a response to his letter, which was eventually dismissed by the minister who wrote to the Longara on the document, referring to the insane asylum in Via della Lugara in Rome. So he probably thought somebody insane wrote it. Poor guy. That's <laughs> Honestly, as far as rejection letters go, that's, that's pretty up there. <laughs> you know, instead of just getting rejected, they think you're from an insane asylum. Mm-hmm. In 1896, Marconi spoke with his family friend Carlo Gardini, honorary consul at the U.S. consulate in Bologna, about leaving Italy to go to Great Britain. Gardini wrote a letter of introduction to the ambassador of Italy in London, Anibale Ferrero, explaining who Marconi was and about his extraordinary discoveries. In his response, Ambassador Ferrero advised them not to reveal Marconi's results until after a patent was obtained. He also encouraged Marconi to come to Britain, where he believed it would be easier to find the necessary funds to convert his experiments into practical use. Finding little interest or appreciation for his work in Italy, Marconi traveled to London in early 1896 at the age of 21, accompanied by his mother, to seek support for his work. He spoke fluent English in addition to Italian. Marconi arrived at Dover, and the customs officer opened his case to find various apparatuses. The customs officer immediately contacted the Admiralty in London. While there, Marconi gained interest and support of William Preece, the chief electrical engineer of the General Post Office, the GPO. During this time, Marconi decided he should patent his system, which he applied for on the 2nd of June, 1896. The British patent number 12039, titled Improvements in Transmitting Electrical Impulses and Signals in an Apparatus Therefore which would become the first patent for a radio wave-based communication system. He was able to send signals up to distances of 64 kilometers, or 4 miles, on the Salisbury Plain to nearly 14.5 kilometers, 9 miles, across the Bristol Channel. These tests, together with Priest's lectures on them, attracted considerable publicity in both England and abroad, and in June of 1897, Marconi went to La Spieza, where a land station was erected and communication was established with Italian warships of up to distances of up to 19 kilometers, or 11.8 miles. Wow. How exciting. I I think back and think, you know, in Italy, uh, his rejection letter, like, were they thinking, oh my gosh, this guy was a genius. (gasps) We missed him. We missed him. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. I wonder about that, too. Yeah. There remains much skepticism about the useful application of this means of communication and a lack of interest in its exploration. But Marconi's cousin, Jameson Davis, a practicing engineer, financed his patent, helped to the formation of the Wireless Telegraph and Signal Company Limited. 
changed in 1900 to Marconi's Wireless Telegraph Company Limited. During the first years, the company's efforts were devoted chiefly to showing the full possibilities of radio telegraphy. A further step was taken in 1899 when a wireless station was established at South Foreland, England, for communicating with Wilmerex in France, a distance of 50 kilometers, three miles, in the same year. British battleships exchanged messages at 121 kilometers, or 75 miles. In 1899, Marconi was able to transmit signals across the English Channel from Britain to France. The test took place at the time of day during which the entire transatlantic path was in daylight. It is now known, though Marconi didn't know it then, that this was the worst possible choice. At this medium wavelength, long-distance transmission in the daytime is not possible because of heavy absorption of the sky waves in the ionosphere. It was not a blind test. Marconi knew in advance to listen for a repetitive signal of three clicks, signifying the Morse code letter S. The clicks were reported to have been heard faintly and sporadically. There was no independent confirmation of the reported reception, and the transmissions were difficult to distinguish from atmospheric noise. A year later, he received a patent for tuned or syntonic telegraphy. This patent number 7777 allowed simultaneous transmissions on different frequencies. Thus, stations next to one another were able to operate without interfering with the other signals. Adjacent stations were now able to operate without interfering with one another, and ranges were increased. On December 17, 1902, a transmission from the Marconi Station in Glace Bay, Nova Scotia, Canada, became the world's first radio message to cross the Atlantic from North America. In 1901, Marconi built a station near South Wellfleet, Massachusetts, that sent a message of greetings on January 18, 1903, from the United States President Theodore Roosevelt to King Edward VII of the United Kingdom. However, constant transatlantic signaling was difficult to establish. In 1905, he married the Honorable Beatrice O'Brien, daughter of the 14th Baron Inchiquin, the marriage being annulled in 1927, in which year he married the Countess Bessie Scully of Rome. He had one son and two daughters by his first wife and one daughter by his second wife. His hobbies were hunting, cycling, and motoring. Marconi began to build high-powered stations on both sides of the Atlantic to communicate with ships at sea in competition with other inventors. In 1904, he established a commercial service to transmit nightly news summaries to subscribing ships, which could incorporate them into their onboard newspaper. A regular transatlantic radio telegraph service was finally begun on October 17, 1907. During these early years in the 1900s, Marconi's invention proved itself a life-saving technology to a particular group of people, those at sea. Marconi had hoped from the beginning that the system would end their isolation and give them a way to call for help. The first incident that demonstrated this potential came in 1899 when a vessel rammed by a steamship in heavy fog used the system to call for lifeboat. In 1909, when, they, when the SS Republic collided with an Italian steamer, the Marconi radio operator on board the Republic was able to guide rescue ships to its position 
to save more than 1,700 passengers. When the Titanic sank in 1912, calls for help came through the Marconi equipment on board so that some passengers' lives were spared. In 1909, Marconi won the Nobel Prize in Physics, which was shared with Carl Finlanen Braun, who had modified Marconi's transmitter to increase their range and practicality. In 1914, Marconi was made a senator in the Senate of Kingdom of Italy and appointed Honorary Knight Grand Cross of the Royal Victorian Order in the UK. During World War I, Italy joined the Allied side of the conflict and Marconi was placed in charge of the Italian military's radio service. He attained the rank of lieutenant in the Italian Royal Army and of commander in the Regiae Marina. In 1929, he was made a Marquis by King Victor Emmanuel III. Marconi joined the Italian Fascist Party in 1923. In 1930, Italian dictator Benito Mussolini appointed him president of the Royal Academy of Italy, which made Marconi a member of the Fascist Grand Council. Marconi died in Rome on July 20, 1937, at the age of 63, following the ninth fatal heart attack, and Italy held a state funeral for him. As a tribute, shops on the street where he lived were closed for national mourning. In addition, at 6 p.m. the next day, the time designated for the funeral, transmitters around the world observed two minutes of silence in his honor. The British Post Office also sent a message requesting that all broadcasting ships honor Marconi with two minutes of broadcasting silence. The asteroid 1332 Marconi is named in his honor. A large crater on the far side of the moon is also named after him. Wow. <laughs> what a life, huh? He got, he, he traveled. I'm sure he traveled extensively. And then what an accomplishment. I think it's interesting too, you know, when you think about the inventor of the radio, you don't think about all its applications. And when I was doing research for this episode, I thought it was most interesting about the ships. Yes. With the sinking and the Titanic. Yeah. Um, just because, like, again, you wouldn't think about that. Like, if, if you're a radio inventor, the first thing you're going to think of is like, oh, how can we use this for, like, military strategy or something? And then you can think about, oh, well, if we put these on passenger ships and if the ships right, sink, which was right. rather common back then, right. you know, we can save lives. So, Safety. Yeah. yeah I think and I'm really wondering how much he was influenced, you know, being in Italy, mm -hmm. you know, if he um, was influenced by the ocean there and, and oh, thinking sure. about that, thinking about the ships and, and the isolation that absolutely you would have then. Yeah. I find it interesting too, that he always had a history of, tinkering and inventing like ever mm -hmm. since he was a little kid because like some of the scientists we talk about on here do have that and then their parents of course encourage that but some of them don't they they get that later and mm -hmm. so i just find it interesting that for him like obviously his parents were like oh yeah you can play with dangerous electrical equipment that's totally fine <laughs> sure. you can make an antenna in our backyard yeah, it's not? all good no worries <laughs> so yeah i just i find that really interesting that obviously he was okay to do that and you wonder what, you know, it sounds like they were fairly well off oh, yeah. growing up. Yeah. So maybe it was easy for him to sure. have yeah. a, quote, you know, laboratory. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Thank you for listening to our episode on radio inventor Guglielmo Marconi. Stay tuned for our next episode on Mary Agnes Chase, a botanist who studied grasses. Mm.